Welcome to Homegirl Nation. I'm your host, Bridget Trong. If you're a true crime junkie like me, you're going to really enjoy this episode because Story Hunter podcast host Catherine Fogarty is with us to talk about the wildly popular genre. Catherine has a really interesting storytelling background. She is the founder and president of Big Coat Media. This is the production company behind the award-winning Love It or List It on HGTV. She's also the writer, producer, and voice of Story Hunter Podcast, which is a narrative true crime podcast focusing on Canadian crime stories. And she's parlayed her interest on this side of factual storytelling into two books, Murder on the Inside, the true story of the 1971 Kingston Penitentiary Riot, and her latest, Someone You Know, an unforgettable collection of Canadian true crime stories. Let's dive into our curiosity around true crime because I know, I know, I'm not the only one who slams the remind me button on Netflix when a true crime doc is on the horizon. Let's meet Catherine. Catherine, this is the first time that we're meeting. I understand that we have something in common, and that is when you think of Friday, you think Dateline. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. I was already thinking about it. (laughs) Yes, happy Friday. Because when I was in high school, I kid you not, going into university as well, when everyone else was going out, I always stayed home on Friday nights. It was a non-negotiable unless it was a really big occasion, like a birthday or some kind of celebration, because Friday night was Dateline and 2020. Back to back. Yeah. So uh, I am a true crime junkie just like yourself, and I'm so excited to dive in. And through watching a lot of these true crime stories on Dateline in 2020, the connection that I made with a lot of them were that a lot of these murders were at the hands of someone that these people knew, these victims knew. And this is really a natural segue into your second book, your latest book. The title is Someone You Know, An Unforgettable Collection of Canadian True Crime Stories. What was the catalyst for this one? Well, you know, talking with my editor at HarperCollins, one of the catalysts was that there really wasn't a Canadian true crime anthology that had been done recently. So that was, that was certainly one of the, uh, the things that we talked about. There has been some others, but, you know, mixing, you know, some Canadian and, and, and more American. So I, uh, I kind of joked with her and said, you know, if you're ever looking for a Canadian, you know, 100% Canadian anthology, then, then I'm your person. And then of course, uh, I mean, right now on the podcast, I'm working on episode 66. So I've done a lot of these stories and certainly, you know, early on saw that, that common theme that yes, of course, a lot of these terrible crimes are at the hands of someone, you know, which is, you know, very sad and tragic. Mm-hmm. And going back to your podcast, mm-hmm. Story Hunter, love mm-hmm. what you're doing there. I can't believe how many stories you. that you've covered at this point. Would you say that there's a lot of crossover between what we've heard on the podcast and the book, the 12 stories? Mm-hmm. That you yeah, the, the stories are based on the podcast. So those are 12 stories from the podcast that we that we chose because they had, you know, there's four sections in the book related to, you know, who that murder is is committed by. So friendships, 
families, romantic partners, uh, and of course, you know, the, the very uh, popular one, husbands and wives. <laughs> so, you know, it's been going back to Dateline, my, my husband, you know, always is like, oh, no, not Dateline. So so he, he's, he's not a fan of Dateline, but he'll walk in, you know, mid episode and say the husband did it. <laughs> so, and, and he's usually, and he's usually, He's usually right. Yeah. I, I'm so curious. I haven't had a chance to delve into these 12 stories yet, but how do you go mm-hmm. about selecting which ones to cover that mm-hmm. are most meaningful, that'll allow Canadians mm-hmm. who come across these stories to really get an understanding of uh, not only the genre, uh, not only what's taken place, but really get engaged themselves? Well, it's sort of a multifaceted approach that that I use. I mean, originally when I started the podcast, I was going back, honestly, into my own memory bank. I mean, I I grew up in Toronto. And so I decided I was going to look up cases that that I remembered from from my childhood and teenage years. So some of the first ones were really related to that. Because the other thing that I found is that if you when you go back and look at these cases, I mean, sadly, a lot of them, you know, they've been, they're news for a day or two, and then they disappear. So what I was really looking for is stories that had happened, you know, whenever they, they happened, but what had changed or what had progressed from that first initial story. You know, the reality is we, you know, we want, uh, these are stories and, you know, you're looking for some, some interesting sort of twists and turns. So that's what I was also looking for. You know, so somebody's gone, you know, has been convicted, for example, of a crime, but, uh, did anybody know that he's now walking the streets? You know, those kind of things like, you know, what happened after, because there's a lot that happens after a trial that, that again, the, the press don't normally pick up on. So going back into some of these stories, I was shocked that what I would find had happened, you know, 10 or 20 years after that initial crime. So, so that was something I was, I'm, I'm still always looking for, like what, what's, what's the twist here and what's, what's the final outcome? Because I think that final outcome is quite shocking sometimes because we, we always anticipate, oh, you know, somebody uh, got murdered, somebody got convicted, end of story. And usually it isn't. Is there one story that comes with a shock factor that really stands out to you the most? Yeah, I mean, all of them are, are quite shocking, to tell you the truth. And yeah, I said to somebody recently, they asked me a similar question. I said, you know, it's 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 easier to write about these stories than to talk about them because they're just they're just so tragic. And and the tragedy in these stories as well. It's I mean, it's it, it's it's a double tragedy because if somebody is murdered uh, by somebody they know, I mean, think of the family that's left behind. So this is somebody that they've you know had in their lives, in their world, in their families, and they have been completely betrayed. Not not only have they lost a loved one through a violent violent means, but they've also been betrayed by somebody who was very very close to that family. So. So it's a, a, a double tragedy uh, for the, the family members that are left behind, um, which, again, I think we have to be always very, very uh, cognizant of in, in telling these stories um, and not not sensationalize them. Uh, one of the first stories that I was really, really fascinated by going back to <laughs> going back to a lot way back to, to childhood was the story of Evelyn Dick uh, in Hamilton. And it is in the book. And it's from 1946, Hamilton, Ontario. And it was a very, very famous case. And if you go down to Hamilton, it's still a very, very famous case. And this was a, a woman who was what they would call a femme fatale. And um, 
her husband of only about six months, his torso was found on Hamilton Mountain one day by a group of kids out on a picnic. And, um, you know, she ended up being put on trial for that. And it it was the trial of of the decade, so to speak. And the, uh, you know, thousands of people were lined up outside the courthouse every day in Hamilton. The newspapers in Toronto were at war over, you know, trying to get the latest scoop on this story. And so it's, 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 there was a book written about it many, many years ago, actually two books written about it. So going back to what I said is that, this case is very, very famous. But what ended up happening to uh, Mrs. Dick after, very, very few people know about. Um, and what happened is that Mrs. Dick did go to prison for 12 years to the Kingston Women's Prison because she'd also killed one of her children. And so she went to prison for that, not for the husband's murder. Wow. And, you know, she was a very, very charming, beautiful woman. And, and she charmed a few people on the um, the parole board, uh, the, which had just been formed back in those days. And um, she ended up being sort of taken out of the, the prison in the middle of the night and given an entire new identity by the Canadian government. And a, a thing, it's called a Royal Prerogative of Mercy, which is basically the, the best type of pardon that you can get from the Canadian government, because that means that your records are completely wiped out. So she went on to live a, a completely new life, courtesy of the Canadian government. They gave her a new identity, a new job, a new location, and nobody was ever, ever able to find Evelyn Dick. I'm sorry, well, how did she get that kind of leniency? They, we don't know. Because wow. as I said, she, somebody took, a, you know, two people, actually, two people, a, a man and a woman who were on this parole board, took a particular liking to her. And they decided, I mean, you know, and she had, she was, she was very involved in, in her husband's murder, of course, along with her father. And then she had killed an infant and encased his body in cement up in her attic. And they found this accidentally while they were investigating the, uh, the murder of her husband. So she, um, but as I said, she was, she was a charming woman and, um, they, they believed that she deserved after 12 years that she deserved a, a whole new life. Um, and so her her uh, files are still sealed. And as I said, people have tried for years to find out. I mean, she would be she would be uh, dead now. But you know what actually happened? And and they they did such a good job in sealing those files that nobody has ever been able to find out what happened with her. So that's a whole other story. And of course, a very big question is as to why why did the, why would the Canadian government of have given this to a, a convicted murderer. So, yeah. Right. And so that, that that was one of the biggest stories that I, you know, I was really uh, stuck on um, for many, many years. So right. that's wild. Yeah. Uh, now, in your past life, you were a social worker. And that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. You know, when I think, okay, Catherine had a social work background, uh, some criminal criminology as well, right? Mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. moved into this yeah. space later in life. That makes sense. You're interested in human behavior. So I'd love mm-hmm. to know what you think about, like, how, why is it that it's more common for people to hurt and kill those closest to them than if mm-hmm. it were a complete stranger? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think, you know, I think it always, it comes down to motive and, you know, people, uh, when you, you look at police investigations, what do the police do? They always say, we got to start, we'll start closest to the victim. So who has the strongest motive for wanting that person dead? And it usually comes down to, you know, love, lust, money, Mm -hmm. you know, those, you know, uh, jealousy. jealousy. Yeah. So that's why they always start closest to the victim and you know nine times out of ten that's where they they find their uh their murderer uh i mean the random you know random acts of violence of course still happen and still happen way too frequently but you know that's a whole different psychology i mean the whole issue related to serial killers for example um yeah that's 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 a very different uh type of psychology that you're dealing with there Mm -hmm. So. Fascinating. It's fascinating. And what is fascinating too is to see this this boom, this rise of the true crime genre, if you will, because mm-hmm. of the advent of streaming platforms, podcasts, mm-hmm. TikTok. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever use TikTok. But, no. Okay. But when I go I'm on my old. TikTok, I'm too old for TikTok. <laughs> you are not. That is not true. I can barely manage I can barely manage Facebook and Instagram. Don't don't I can't TikTok. That's fair. But I will say, just based on what I know so far, if you were to get a TikTok account, the algorithm within a day will probably just give you all true crime content. Hashtag crime talk is a massive category. And same with YouTube as well. That algorithm just works so quickly. But this boom in this genre becoming such a full-fledged entertainment category. Do you find that concerning or is it it makes sense like there's a curiosity there's a human interest level but it has Mm -hmm. an entertainment category right again i think we need to strike a very very careful balance i would go go as far to say and i think i said in the the introduction to the book i don't i don't think a murder is entertainment Mm -hmm. and that's why i called the podcast story hunter these are stories and I believe they are important stories for a few reasons. Name, namely, one is to remember those victims of those stories, because I, I again, when you know it's on the front page one day and and gone the next. And I do believe that these people need to be to be remembered. Uh, and also, these stories are part of our you know our common collective with respect to um, you know how we look at crime in in our society, how we deal with crime. So a lot of the stories, going back to your first question as to like how I select them, a lot of the stories that I work on will have a, a stronger implication to our, our society uh, in general. Like something may have changed in the judicial system based on that particular story. The one I'm working on right now is is a story about domestic violence and there was a huge inquest related to this story so so it, there's there's a much deeper implication versus just that, that simple crime so so again you know the crime true crime is entertainment yes as i said i think i think these can be very very valuable stories and compelling stories you know getting back to our discussion on uh, on dateline but if you look at us, you know, and I love Dateline because I always have felt that they treat the families of those victims ethically. And, you know, but there is the whole other side of this genre in, you know, in the television world, which I, you know, come from. And um, that's, yeah, the, you know, the salaciousness of, of telling some of these stories. I'm, I'm just not a fan of. For those who are listening and uh, don't know this, Catherine is one of the good, brilliant, smart people behind Love It or Listed. 
That is <laughs> <laughs> very different from this book yeah, very and your yeah. podcast and the other book. Uh, but yeah, you have a very strong background in production and you're the president mm-hmm. of Big Coat Media. Did I get that right? Yes, Big Coat yes, Media. Yes. Did you, like, I'm interested in the trajectory of your career from social worker mm-hmm. to production in reality and, and nonfiction and into the crime genre. How did you kind of go from one to the next or did it just mm-hmm. kind of fall into place on its own terms? Yeah, I think it, I think it did. I mean, I've, I've been in TV for... Well, you know, I was a social worker for 10 years and then sort of pivoted into um, television, honestly, because of, you know, somebody that that I uh, well, actually lived with at the time. <laughs> so it was more of a personal decision. And uh, and, and we created a company together, et cetera, et cetera. So I, so I moved away from social work, but certainly always had uh, an interest in, in, in human nature, you know, at, at one point while we were working on, you know, these different design shows and reality shows, I went off and um, produced a, um, a documentary about young women with breast cancer. So I was always sort of, you know, that expression, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul, we, you know, we, we, we did very well in, in the design and reality world, but I'd kind of like, you know, steal away to, to do other, um, you know, more, um, you know, passion-based projects. And then, you know, the podcast came out of uh, out of the pandemic, quite honestly, because I had been thinking about doing a podcast and we talked about it at uh, in our production offices, wanted to definitely, you know, delve into true crime. And then the pandemic hit. So we all had to go home. We closed our production offices for five months. And I was, you know, kind of sitting where I am right now in my office at home and thought, you know what, I guess it kind of now or never and I guess it's going to be me uh, it was never I'd never intended that it was going to be be me actually doing the podcast so that's sort of uh how I how I started and you know kept kept going from there and I had written my first book that came out in 2021 so I'd I'd taken a li- like a six-month leave of absence from my my job at Big Coat to finish the book mm-hmm. and then it you know it got published and then you know I decided that this is sort of where I would stay. So, yeah. So luckily I have a very good business partner who uh, was kind of keeping the lights, lights on at at the production offices and and love it or list it. So, so that's still going very strong, but you know, it allows me to kind of play over in in this sandbox. Totally. It's a, it's fun to diversify for sure. And, you know, I have the unique privilege of chatting with a lot of talented go-getters uh, who are women on this podcast. And uh, I think one of the common elements of of how you all lead your lives is with this let's do it attitude. Mm-hmm. If it feels right in the moment, go after it because it's never a, a, a it doesn't seem to be this linear trajectory for no. most people. Yeah. And it's very scary um, for sure. Because I mean, when I left social work, I mean, I had trained as a social worker, I'd, I'd just finished a master's degree in social work. So to move over into a, a totally different field, I, you know, I was terrified. I said, and I remember saying to my business partner, like, this isn't what I do. I don't know anything about this, but you know, I had to take that, that leap. And, uh, and then, you know, took, took another one. And of course, with writing a book, I thought, well, a, um, a, this book's never going to get published and, you know, nobody's ever going to read it, <laughs> you know, um, you know, you just have so much self-doubt going, going through these things, but yeah, you just have to, you know, push forward. And uh, so that's, that's, that's what I did. And what usually happens, yeah. do you find when you do push forward and take that leap? Well, things work out. 
things work out, uh, yeah. you know, for for the better, which is which is good because we always, you know, as I said, there's always that, you know, that that self doubt that's in the in the back of your mind. Um, we all have it, and uh, and I think as you, you know, as you get a little bit older, I mean, it's uh, that that voice might get a little softer, but still, I mean. You know, again, and we all have this image of who we are. I'm this, I'm that, I'm a producer. Yes. And, you know, I had this interesting experience when I was writing my first book, um, meeting with a uh, an agent, a literary agent, because uh, I was doing this um, this MFA program and they would get you to meet with publishers and, and editors and things. And so I sat down and you had to pitch your book idea. So I did that. And I mean, this woman who is a very uh, well-known literary agent, you know, looked at me and she basically said to me, who are you to be writing this book? So she was putting me wow. right back, in, you know, in my place to say, like, you're a television producer. Um, you can't write a book about a, a prison riot. Like, who are you? <laughs> I was like well um but you know what i'm so glad i had that experience because that just that just propelled me to say uh well i'm the person that's just spent four years researching this book who's dedicated that time because i want this story to be told so i guess i am the right person that's going to tell this book so there you go <laughs> so, and it, so you know in retrospect i'm glad i'm glad that happened to me because it was terrible at the moment because i'm like oh my god like maybe i shouldn't but of but then course. it just, you know, really, really uh, encouraged me to keep going. That's incredible. I'm hoping she has both of your books at this point. And I don't know. I don't know. I never, I never spoke to Front her. Front and yet. center on her bookshelf. <laughs> Before I let you go, I'm curious to know where we go next. You know, you touched on identity, which is really interesting. Uh, you know, like, who am I? I've been a producer for so long, and now I'm a published author, podcaster, all of these things. Uh, but you're Catherine. You're a multifaceted woman. Are we going to stick with the true crime genre outside of design and in what you're doing in reality? TV or are we going to try a little something new? Well, uh, I have three books on the, the, the burner, the front burner right now that uh, my editor and I are talking about. So there will definitely be uh, some more books coming out. So, yeah, I mean, I, as I, I love telling stories because as I said, I think they're so important to our, our culture and to our heritage, particularly as Canadians because I don't think we know enough about our, our culture and our history. And, you know, there's the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of that history. And, and now, you know, just in the last few years, uh, you know, there's some not so pretty things coming out about our, our history and our culture. So those, but those stories need to come out. So we do better in, in mm -hmm. the future. So that, so I'm very happy to be where I am right now and really enjoying telling these stories one of my next books is this there's a crazy thing that happens to i think to podcasters and true crime writers is that we get to a point where we're writing about these crimes and then we decide that we're going to solve try to solve one of them oh no way so you put your yeah. investigative journalist hat on and then yeah. hopefully that leads to yes. what like cia yes. agents yeah yeah so i'm, I'm working on a, a 1969 murder of a canadian girl uh, who was murdered in Los Angeles. So I'm very, very far down uh, the rabbit hole of that. I've been working on it for uh, for two years now and um, and writing a book about it. And Catherine, so. let me ask you what, like, while we're on this topic, how do you kind of separate yourself from these stories that I'm sure you become very deeply ingrained in with the research and, and the writing process? 
How do you mm-hmm. kind of separate the two? Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. I bet, um, yeah. And you, yeah. And sometimes I have to say to myself, you know what? Take a break. Mm-hmm. Take a break. And that could be like, take a break, shut the computer down and go for a walk, you know, take the dogs out or take a break and don't touch this for like a week or something like that. Yeah, no, you have to be very, very mindful of that. And I've found myself, particularly with this 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 current case, um, you know, trying to solve a young girl's murder, you reach point of, of, of obsession because it becomes so, so important. And it is very important to me to try to 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 find the answers uh, to what happened to this young girl. So, so yeah, I, I know that I have to be very, very cognizant of that because you can kind of uh, lose yourself for sure. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You you can become very obsessive. I mean, myself, I haven't written anything in relation to true crime, but mm-hmm. just following along, especially when it happens on home soil, there's something about mm-hmm. that proximity that makes you feel a bit more attached than I think the others that you might see in the state. But one of the things yeah. I trust too, that I forgot to mention is uh, and you've probably seen this a few articles this summer that were inspired by a theory that a psychologist had that if you watch violent or gritty content to help you sleep, like true crime and stories, that could be a red flag about how you process trauma. And I'm like, I, I watch true crime stories before bed every night. I think I'm pretty good at processing my trauma, but I guess I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a question, you know, that's one of the biggest questions about, you know, the popularity of, of true crime. Like, why why are we watching these? Why are we listening to these podcasts? And particularly, of course, for women, because women are the, you know, the, the biggest true crime fans. And I, yeah. I personally believe it comes back to our own safety. And, you know, as I said in the book, it's like, if we know who the monster is under the bed, we, we feel better that we can protect ourselves. So we, as women, I think we sort of take in these stories uh, as almost like this uh, level of self-protection. So, I mean, there's things that I do and will not do because of working in true crime. I mean, I live in downtown Toronto and I go out for runs. There's very specific places I will run. Right. There's specific places I will not run because, you know, I've watched so much, too many of these stories where, you know, somebody's after, you know, murdered off a, a running path or in the middle of a park. Right. So, so, so yeah, I think, I think it certainly does affect our psychology, but not necessarily in, in, in a bad way, because I do believe we are uh, on many levels consuming this because it, it, it actually helps us process, you know, what's out there and understanding that that it is out there you know we can't avoid that i mean uh, crime particularly now crime is is everywhere wherever you live nobody's safe and uh, protected from that i mean i've there's been crimes that have happened like literally just down the street from me so we have i think we need we all want the feeling of understanding that and also the resolve i mean that we we feel good when we know that that particular crime or criminal has been has been caught at the end of the dateline episode you're like oh you know great you know yeah they're solace and knowing they're put away they can't hurt us absolutely yeah for sure so yeah well Catherine, thank you so much for your time this has been a fascinating conversation and what you do is very welcome fascinating my god i look forward to uh (laughs) Looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of this book and moving forward. What what's to come from your arsenal of of all <laughs> all nonfiction? Um, 
got more stories. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Thank yeah. you so much for joining yeah. us. Thank you. Catherine's national bestseller, Someone You Know, An Unforgettable Collection of Canadian True Crime Stories, is now available on Amazon, Indigo, and all the top book sites and bookstores. Thank you so much for dropping by for this homegirl discussion. You know the doors always open. <laughs> 